I have an acquaintance who is a professional estate liquidator, which is a fancy way of saying that she goes to the home of a deceased person and she organizes all of their belongings and prices everything and then sells it all at an estate sale. It's an interesting job, to say the least. She sold everything you can imagine, from a golf cart to a taxidermied squirrel. Most of the time, she likes her job. But she says there are times that there are parts of it that bother her. For example, when she has to watch someone's family Bible sell for $5 to a stranger, or when she has to pack up the most intimate personal belongings of a deceased person, you know, their clothing, their shoes, even their underwear, and sell it to a dealer who she knows is just going to take all of it and throw it out on a table at a flea market. But these sales have to happen because, well, the friends and family of the deceased person just don't have any room or any use for the deceased person's stuff. Friends, it's a hard truth, but these things that we covet and collect and obsess over many times become nothing more than a disposal problem for our friends and family after we die. One thing my friend has said she's learned in all her years as an estate liquidator, she says it's most important to place emphasis on people and memories and not worrying about, you know, collecting more things that she has to dust. Now, I don't know if my friend has read the book of Ecclesiastes, but her words really do line up with the ancient wisdom of this book. The writer of Ecclesiastes was on a quest to discover the meaning of life. And he decided he would try different paths to see what would get him there. And the first was self-indulgence. No taxidermied squirrels for this guy. He went straight for the good stuff. Multiple houses, pools, gardens, vineyards, servants, the best food, the best drink. And some, he got everything he ever wanted. And then he found out that everything he ever wanted was not enough. There was just no substance to it. None of it would last. There was no real meat there, he discovered. He couldn't find the meaning in the stuff. It's all vanity, he said. A chasing after the wind. Now, are we surprised by that conclusion? I don't think so. I don't think any of us deep down really believe that golf carts or taxidermy squirrels are going to get you to the meaning of life. We don't believe that, even though so many of us try self-indulgence. But deep down, we know that a life of self-indulgence is a misdirected life. Friends, we are created for a life that is directed outward. We are made for relationships with God and one another. We are made to love people and care for them and to receive love and care from others. Do you remember in the creation story, in the book of Genesis, how God creates one thing after another and pronounces every single thing good, and it's not until we get to chapter two that anything is pronounced bad. 
And that thing is isolation. It is not good for the man to be alone, says God. No, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for any man, woman, boy, or girl to be an island. We are made for relationship. We are made to live an outward-directed life. Without relationship, we cannot be whole and we will not find meaning, friends. I would be so bold as to say that there is nothing that we can watch, play, eat, drink, wear, drive, or live in that will substitute, period. Years ago, I read a wonderful story about a Jewish man named Yonkel. He survived the Holocaust in Europe during World War II and later made his way to New York where he opened a bakery. Yonkel said to everybody who would listen, do you know why I lived? Do you know why I survived the war? Let me tell you. I was just a kid, a young teenager, when the Germans came to my town and they rounded up all the Jews, and they put us on a boxcar. They put us on a train that would take us to Auschwitz. It was the middle of the winter. It was bitterly cold. And the first night, the Germans did something they often did. They parked the train on a sidetrack and just left us there overnight. Sometimes the Germans would do this for a couple of days, just leave a train parked on a sidetrack. The people inside those boxcars had no food, no water, no blankets, no sanitation, nothing. They were locked in and left. Yonkel said, as the sun went down, the temperature dropped below freezing, and people in the boxcar were suffering. People were shivering. Some were turning blue from the cold. Uncle said, there was a man, an elderly man, on the boxcar with me. He was highly respected in my village, someone I knew well. Everyone loved him. He looked terrible. He kept falling down to his knees. He was shivering so hard he couldn't stand, and the tips of his fingers were blue. I was scared he was going to die. So, Yonkel said, I I made my way over to him, and I wrapped my arms around him, and I hugged him as hard as I could. And then I rubbed his arms, and I rubbed his legs, and I kept saying to him, I'm going to keep you warm, and I'm going to keep you alive. Keep breathing. You have to stay alive. I did this all night for hours and hours, said Yonkel. Even when my own hands and fingers were completely numb, I, I kept holding on to this man and trying to keep him warm and telling him that he had to live. Finally, the sun came up, and light began to come through a crack between the doors of the boxcar. And Yonkel said, I looked around, and I could see people, and they were all dead. To my horror, they were all dead. Everyone but me and that old man had frozen to death in the night. Do you want to know the secret of life? Yonkel would say. Listen to me, this is it. 
That old man lived because someone was trying to keep him warm, and I lived because I was trying to keep someone else warm. Do you see that when you warm someone else's heart, they warm yours? When you offer love, support, encouragement to another, love and support and encouragement come into your life. That's the secret, Yonko would say. That's the secret. My friends, that is a great secret. Do you want to know meaning in your life? Well, during this season of Lent, as we are called to be introspective, to examine our hearts and lives, perhaps it's time to ask about direction. Are we living lives that are focused on ourselves or outward? Are we seeking to warm someone else's heart? trusting that in turn our own will be warmed. If you want to know a life of meaning, my friends, live an outward-directed life. Focus first on others rather than self. This is step one to a life of true satisfaction and wholeness. Will you pray with me? Most loving God, we confess that often we have direction wrong in our lives. We are so consumed with what we can get for ourselves, we forget that we were created instead to focus outward and to give. During this holy season of Lent, dear God, we pray that you would forgive us for our tendency toward self-indulgence and empower us to live lives focused on relationship with you and with our neighbor. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.